Welcome into this edition of the Golf Central Podcast presented by Callaway Golf. I'm Lav, soon to be joined by Rex, who is live from Miami, hopefully drinking a Havana lager in town for the Live Team Championship. It's our first report from on the ground with Live, so he'll give us all the vibes, all the news, all the notes. Also, Roy McIlroy returned to number one in the world for the ninth time. Will he stay there? Who can challenge him? We'll get into all of that, plus a few other items from the PGA Tour. But first, Callaway has developed their longest irons ever in the Rogue ST line. These irons are breaking ground with a high-strength 450 AI face cup that's never been seen before in the industry. Callaway has continued to push innovation through their patented urethane microspheres and have massively increased their precision tungsten weighting. The Rogue ST lineup is available in four options to suit every type of player, including the Rogue ST Max for incredible speed, forgiveness, and performance. They're available now. And for more info, visit CallawayGolf.com. Rex, first, a couple of housekeeping items. Speaking of Callaway, shout out to the team. The brand new Apex 21 Black Irons arrived at my doorstep the other night. It's the second sexiest thing that's ever been in this house, besides my wife, of course. Uh, I did just get my flu shot, have a very sore left arm. This thing takes effect immediately. Um, So I will be trying these out soon. Can't wait. Obviously, giving a full report on the pod. So thanks uh, to the team for hooking me up, helping me get on this journey to team no elbow pain. Also, Rex, we're coming to you this week, at least I am, with a brand new microphone. Our iTunes reviews and ratings are absolutely terrible. Dudes from like 2015 are complaining about our mic quality. Someone said that we got into politics uh, back in 2020, which I highly doubt considering I'm the most apolitical person uh, on the planet. Uh, This should fix that. These are very high quality mics, not just purchased for $30 off Amazon. Leave us a comment, boost our rating, uh, make our bosses happy. You'll at least Rex have a better uh, podcast mic for next week. As I mentioned, you are in Miami. We were supposed to have a segment on golf today earlier this week, breaking down the winners and losers of the live season so far. That was canceled because of an unexpected, quote, light tone. Uh, Are you worried about what you're about to say on this podcast? Uh, No, I'm not worried. It's like Christmas in October in your house. Is it new irons, new microphone? Like, look at you. Just the packages are rolling up on the front door. You're dancing around the house, skipping to the front door. I mean, it's still it's still it's still dwarfs in comparison to how many Amazon and Target boxes that we get on a daily basis after my wife purchased them. But yes, it is. It is nice to actually have some of these packages for me uh, and not just her. Uh, You'll have to tell me how the new irons play because Ethan still hasn't hooked me hooked me up. Uh, Ethan, hit me up. Come on, man. Where you at? Ethan, don't know Rex. Never heard of Rex. Do not help Rex. <laughs> yes, my mic is not up to par. I know you guys can get a comparison and contrast. I have the old. Give mic. us a five star, man. Our ratings like three point eight. It's pitiful. Uh, no, no, I'm not worried about too light of a tone. And, and look, I know this is this is very serious business in golf. I think we all have to take a step is back sometimes and realize. Is it though? Well, I think we all need to take a step back sometimes and realize that we we write we watch we talk about a sport that grown men play for a living there's a lot of money there's a lot of money out there i understand what's going on and there's a lot of big issues when it comes to live golf and i'm more than willing to dive into those but i i I did not think it was too light of a tone i gotta be honest with you uh folks you can find this clip uh currently on golfchannel.com it's leading the homepage. i feel like you need to be slapped with like an nc or like an ns fw tag like an nc17 <laughs> like 
like what viewer discretion advised. I have no idea what you what your folks are going to think of it, uh, but please uh, go on the website and check it out. Winners and losers. Not the spoiler alert here. I mean, but I mean, if we're being honest, you and I just picked winners and losers from Live Golf because this is their finale this week. It's why I'm in Miami, and I thought I thought we did a decent job. I sort of just pointing. Out I, th- I thought we did a fantastic job. I'm not going that far. I'll, I'll, I'll slap a decent on there and be happy with that effort. However, I, I don't know what else we possibly could have done if they wanted something live related. So I guess this is something that more meetings is what I see in our future. More meetings. Great. And, and folks miss seeing you in the aloft bar, uh, having like a leaf blower, uh, oh, check that out. ordering, ordering shots behind you. Uh, I believe there's a charcuterie board uh, being displayed in the background. Make sure you folks, uh, check it out. Uh, Rex, speaking of flu shots, you don't sound that great. Uh, perhaps you should get one uh, when you come back. What is the vibe down at the Live Team Championship? You arrived on Tuesday, went to the Media Center, promptly got kicked out because the Media Center did not open until Wednesday. Now that you've had some time actually on the ground, even though uh, you did get kicked out uh, previously, uh, what have been your impressions so far? What's it like? Uh, housekeeping, I got kicked out because the media center was not open yet. So on Tuesdays at live events, and we all know 54 holes, they don't start. It's just a technicality. It's just a technicality. They weren't done setting it up. So I was asked to leave. That That is a true thing that happened. You know what? And I did this last night on Central. I, I'm going to go with kind of a twofold response when you ask about the vibe here. And I, I've talked to a lot of players, a surprisingly high number of players when I didn't think the access was going to be that good. But I mean, not all 48, but a good portion of the 48 that's in the field. And it's kind of twofold one there is a very real sense of accomplishment among players i think phil mickelson voiced this probably best yesterday during the press conference talking about six or seven months ago it would have been hard to wrap your mind around the idea that we they would have ended up at Doral and and had this momentum and had these players and everything else that goes into that certainly you go back to last week's story and we talked about it in the new yorker about how close they were to actually pulling the plug because of Phil's comments in February and, and where do we go from here? And thank goodness the mediocres had to step in and, and save the live tour. Uh, best mediocres. Give, give me the best mediocres. No, biggest, like excuse me. Excuse me. The biggest mediocres. I, I thought about this this week. We should change the name of our podcast. It, the biggest mediocres brought to you by Callaway golf. You know what? I was, I was pleading for five-star reviews and or five-star ratings and, and better reviews for our iTunes rating give us some comments that calls us the biggest mediocres because that would yeah that's like the greatest compliment you can give uh but there's also some anxiety though the other half of the coin and i think everyone certainly i I talked to a lot of players who were going to be close to that top 50 in the world towards the end of the year or going to be outside of the top 50 in the world kevin Na being the primary example of a player i talked to and look that's when it's going to become real for a lot of guys when you're used to year in and year out going towards the end of December, once you get through Christmas and you're looking forward to running out to your mailbox because you know that invitation from the Masters is about to land and and you get to play in what is, for a lot of people, the best event of the year. When that doesn't show up, I, I think that's going to hit much, much differently. And certainly there's also the issue of multiple, multiple lawsuits hanging over these guys' heads. So I think there's a, a, an amount of anxiety that goes along with this. I think that there's a, there is a sense of accomplishment as well. And I will say this, I've never seen tour players or former tour players, I guess, in this case, walk around with so many smiles on their faces. Uh, why not? They're guaranteed at least $250,000 for participating in the season finale for Live. You mentioned the world ranking, Rex, and that does just pertain to the Masters tournament in early April. Just perusing the official world 
golf rankings. We're talking specifically about guys like Taylor Gooch, who's 38 in the world, Kevin Na, who's 40th, Louis Oosthuizen's 42, Kokrak's 44, Harold Varner's 46, Paul Casey's 47. So there's certainly a number of guys uh, who are on the cusp of the top 50. I'm not smart enough to figure out the math, uh, how far they'll be dropping over the next uh, two months and change, whether they're still safe inside the top 50, not earning points. You would think, surely think some of those guys uh, would uh, be able to earn invitations to the Masters via the world ranking. I guess it remains to be seen whether Augusta National changes criteria. As for the other majors, they're going to be ineligible for the PGA Championship, no longer being PGA members. Uh, the Opens, both the U.S. Open and the Open Championship, they're probably not going to be inside the top 50 and top 60 cutoff, and yet they can still go through Open qualifying. So very much TBD on that front. One thing, Rex, that you and I have been hearing over the past couple months, you mentioned the smiles on the faces of a number of players, and I think there's uh, pretty obvious reasons why. Does this feel like a real tournament? Because to me, that's that's almost the the, biz, the biggest success for live to this point is that by all accounts it looks and feels basically like a pga tour event which is no small task uh, thinking uh, that they kicked off their first one in june what's been your impression of that i was just talking to a swing coach about this justin parsons who pointed out no no it does not feel like a normal tour event because there's no fans here they don't allow fans out on well they don't allow media on monday and tuesday and then they don't allow fans out until friday's competition starts and so it's quiet and i think most of the players actually like that they like to be able to go about their business and get ready for tournaments with without any kind of quote-unquote distractions even during a pro-am I, I don't know i mean from talking with players and people around they they talk about what it was like at the chicago event when apparently they had very very good crowds or the bedminster event in new jersey where the crowds were very good i i I will say that there is a sense of normalcy among players when they sort of say, yeah, yes, it was very exciting. I don't think anyone's going down the Taylor Gooch rabbit hole saying comparing this to a Ryder Cup because I think we all know better than that. It's probably comparison comparable to a decent tour event. I mean, I don't know that we're going to start throwing major championships or the players' championship crowds out there, but based on what we've seen on TV, based on what I've heard, from players, I, I think beyond the crowds, though, everything else, I mean, there, there's no debating. You, you mentioned how much money these players are earning, both officially and unofficially with the guaranteed contracts that they have. I think beyond that, it's just they are pampered here. And it's a, it is a different vibe in as much as there's constantly music playing around the golf course. There's DJs on the range. There's DJs on the first tee box. It, it, it is very much a different vibe where when guys go out and, and maybe it's more relaxed. I don't know. I mean, I guess that was an interesting question that I think Abe answer got this morning in his press conference. Do, do you feel the same nerves coming down the stretch that you would in a PGA tour event, if you were close to the lead or about to try to win on a Sunday afternoon? And, and let me guess, guess let me guess. He said more because his teammate, his teammates are also relying on him. Uh, he did not say that. He kind of just said, oh, the wow. competitor. shocking. He, yeah. But he said the competitor is still there. Like it doesn't change. And, and I can kind of see uh, to go to button up what you were just talking about. So I think Kevin Na, as far as that top 15 mark, when I was talking to him, he's kind of crunched the numbers. He feels like he's falling out by the end of the year. So it seems anyone. Wow. That's 40, quite a slip. 40 or plus it's, you know, well, they're not playing again. Most of them are not playing again. I think Harold Varner, I talked to him. He's hoping to play in the Australian PGA. It's an event that he's won before. He was hoping to get in there, but there's some uncertainties as far as exactly who's going to be allowed in. Are the live players 
going to be allowed to play these sort of off-season events. And I, and I did find it interesting talking with other players about you kind of went further down the path about the U.S. Open and the Open Championship. And Paul Casey, for example, said, yeah, he'll try to – he'll do the 36-hole qualifier. And of course try to they should. It's not, it's not like it's an embarrassment to have to do so. Anyone outside the top 60 has to do so. Well, and, and like the fascinating thing that I ran into the last two days, I'm sort of working on a story that I'll do towards the end of the year is one of the things they've all talked about and thrown out there as a perfect example is, well, I have time off. I have time to spend with my family. And I was curious, like, what, what do you do with the next two and a half, three months? Because barring in injury. It's four. It's four months. They're going to have four months off. Uh, I've seen sort of early drafts of next year's schedule. And, and I don't know if it's going to be four months. I'll just leave it at that. Like, I, I don't know exactly what their schedule is going to look like, but it won't be four months. And you also factor in the Saudi International and there's some Asian Tour International events from that series. I think players That's are, fair. are go- uh, Yeah, so I don't think it's going to be exactly that. And I, there's also the other side of this talking with Graham McDowell where he's like, man, I got to be honest with you. I need to play more. Like, I know we all said that we look forward to the time off, but there is something to be said for taking four months off as a professional golfer that's kind of not the formula. No one has ever done that. I mean, you just don't do that. Even if you're playing the Corn Ferry Tour or the Mini Tours, you're pretty much on a 12-month schedule when it comes to professional golf. So the idea of having two and a half, three months off sounds really good. And some players, Henrik Stenson being the primary example, was said he's looking forward to just going back to Lake Nona in Central Florida and spending time with his family and working in his yard and, and not worrying about golf for a little while. I think it kind of depends on where you're at in your life, but it is sort of a curious mix where be careful what you hope for. I did the exact same story last week while at the CJ cup, but for PJ tour players, basically this is the last fall in which they're going to be obligated uh, to have to play. That's not going to be the case in 2023. If they want to take three months off, they can, if they want to continue to play sort of those priority uh, style tournaments uh, in the fall even though it won't necessarily count towards the 2024 FedEx Cup, uh, then they can go do so. John Rahm was kind of in the camp where, yeah, I think I want three months off. I I play enough worldwide golf, international golf, uh, that I could use that time off. Uh, Max Homa wasn't quite so sure. He said, I don't know what I would do with myself uh, for three months. So I certainly think it is a, a very personal decision. One thing I was curious about, Rex, and you've now had enough time uh, to talk to players is... What level of animus uh, exists between live players and PJ Tour players? Roy McIlroy uh, talked to The Guardian uh, earlier this week. He called it uh, kind of a betrayal uh, that the Ian Poulters, the Graham McDowells, the Lee West, the Sergio Garcias of the world uh, have turned their back on the European Ryder Cup team in order to pursue live riches. We've kind of seen this rhetoric get ramped up and down throughout the course of the year. Mickelson didn't necessarily regret saying the PGA Tour is trending downward, uh, but he certainly walked it back a little bit. What level of animosity do you think truly exists uh, between live folks and PGA Tour folks now that you've been able to see the other side? I have discovered that there's as many people, players, managers, whatever the case may be, entrenched with their views that they are 100% correct on this side as there is on the PGA Tour side. I mean, and, and I'm, I'm it's not almost like side, American but- politics. Uh, it, it almost does. Like the extremes seem to be the ones, and, and this is going to, I'm going to tell you, and I, I don't mean this to be a knock on Pat Perez at all, because I, I do enjoy the conversations I've had with him over the course we of the year. We called him a winner. On this, in the segment that didn't air, we called him a winner of this live race. 
uh, he laid into me yesterday when he saw me uh, across the range, 100 yards away, and just started screaming at me at the top of his lungs about how I thought you were a journalist. I, I thought that, you know, you were going to cover this like you would any other news story. And I'm like, Pat, I think you confused me for someone else. Aren't you there? I, I, I'm like, I, I, I feel like that you're kind of mistaking me for someone else. Like maybe, you know, you're reading someone else's stuff. And he's like, nope, I read all your stuff. He goes, you, you've taken the other side. You've taken the PGA Tour side. And you found I, your one reader. Here we go. Pepperos. Apparently, and, and he's not not happy about it. Never mind that. And I had to send him this immediately afterwards that I had just filed a story, and the headline of that story was "Live Wins Most Recent Lawsuit." So I don't know, like, just as a look within 15 minutes of seeing you, I just filed this story. So I feel like I I kind of just take the news as it comes. But in his particular case, he's one of those entrenched people. He feels like that being on this side, that he made the right choice. And for him, I'm not debating that. Like he I, did I, for him. For him, he made the right choice. For others, I, it is more than fair to, to criticize, critique, however you want to describe it. And I think it, it remains to be seen how this will all be resolved. But for a Pat Perez type, obviously, obviously, he came out a huge winner in this. That's indisputable. Well, and, I, and he clearly does not listen to the podcast, though. I will say that because I have said this numerous times. People will probably come at me because I, I continue to repeat this and I go, Pat, I, I do not want to live my life in an echo chamber. Like, please, please believe me. That's not what I want to do here at all. Like there was two sides of this story and I try my best to tell both sides. Sometimes it's difficult just because of the access. I simply, we don't have access to the players on live the way we have access to the players on the PGA tour. However, that we do try in this particular case. And this goes to what you just asked, because I do think it's a fascinating story that there are, and it's mostly just anecdotal about players who were friends with guys who stayed with the PGA tour and they're not friends anymore. And people who were members of a club and just because the majority of the members at the club are still PGA tour players that they're really not welcome at that club anymore. And, it's, and it trickles them. down and it, it is very much us versus them. And it's not across the board. I mean, there's plenty of anecdotes to go either way. And, and I talked to one player yesterday who said, there's a, there's a player at my club who's remain loyal to the PGA tour. And, and every Monday when I'm home and he's home, we still have the same Monday game that we always have. And we're still friends and we still go out and have wine. He goes, I will say that there's a caddy at this club. He goes, who won't talk to me. And I go, a, a caddy, a caddy. And he said, yes, there's a caddy. And so and it's, it's all anecdotal, but it seems to me that those are the entrenched people on both sides. And, and look, I'm going, going to throw Pat under the bus on this one because he is very much entrenched that his side is right and the other side is absolutely wrong. And, and I, I know that's not the case. Like, it is not that clear cut. And, and the one thing that I've stumbled onto here, and we've had this conversation before. This goes back to a conversation I had with Graham McDowell in London during the BMW PGA. We can all agree on one thing, and we never agree on one thing, but we can all agree on one thing, that the path we're heading down now doesn't work long term that they had to find a way to coexist, you know, both sides. I don't know what that looks like. I don't pretend to be that smart. I think everyone will agree with that. And no one can tell me because I think these extremes are so entrenched that they just refuse to even look at it from the other side's point of view. Yeah, unless there's changes at the top, unless Jay Monahan leaves the PGA Tour, unless Greg Norman uh, leaves Live Golf, it's, it's hard to see any sort of resolution uh, in the near future, if one of those two things happens, sure. Uh, I think in the in, in either the short term or in the long term, you can probably guess what a world would look like uh, with the PGA Tour and Live Golf coexisting, whether it's sprinkled throughout the tour season and then seeding the 
fall uh, to live or some sort of iteration, uh, I certainly think uh, it is possible. You were not there, Rex, to cover the golf, which does begin Friday at Trump Trump Doral, which unfortunately has been desecrated, uh, one of the great PGA Tour stops. Uh, Now, you and I have played this golf course uh, since the redo. Just absolutely uh, dreadful. Uh, So it's a match play team situation. Like you got like Brooks and Harold Varner against each other. You've got Phil and Cameron Smith uh, up against each other. Like, is there actually buzz on the ground or because this is uh, still a fan free zone that you just still have these kind of stilted and scripted press conference settings where guys are uh, allegedly throwing barbs against each other, but they've probably been practicing them for weeks. Yesterday's press conference, which included all the teams that have to play on the first day. So there's an X number of teams that have a bye through to the second round. They don't have to play till Saturday, but yesterday were the teams that had to match up on day one. And look, there was plenty of cringeworthy moments in that press conference where it was absolutely clear that they had been told to make this fun, to, to sort of go back and forth, to make it lively and, Sometimes that works, and, and look, I'll go back to whatever it is that happens between, between Brooks and Bryson last year. Brooks has lost whatever magical touch he had to throw shade because he was awful. Like, he cannot throw shade at all. Or I think Phil is so much better at it than he is that he just got completely rattled because he seemed like uh, the Seinfeld character when, when George Costanza couldn't come up with the reply until two hours later, and then it comes to him, and he's like – shrimp store call they're all out of you and it, that's what it seemed like he, his mind just wasn't working fast enough uh, i mean brooks is cool brooks brooks was only a good social media troll because he had time to digest it he had time to think of yeah. his think of his reply time to find the perfect gift like that's why it worked he's he wasn't pithy in the moment like phil has always been and, and i i'll say that i i feel like since phil made this transition and we we, we made plenty of jokes and plenty, plenty of memes that he has not looked comfortable he has not seemed like it's himself he seems like he's sort of on an island. Divorced, he, middle-aged dad vibes. Yeah, dad's not doing well since the divorce is, is the funniest meme I think I've ever seen when it comes to Phil Mickelson. In this particular case, uh, he was back to kind of being Phil, the Phil that you know we always kind of look forward to on Tuesday or Wednesday at the U.S. Open when he would come in and he would be lively and and you know he'd, he'd have a, a little bit of fun. And that's the guy that showed up here this week. And I don't know why. Maybe there was something to be said about the idea that he feels like he got to the end of this and is in one piece, relatively one piece. I mean, he's taken some shots now Let's for, be now. Honest. for now. Uh, so maybe that was better, but then the rest of it was just, it was so scripted. It's funny when the, I, and the, all the teams walked in and Harold Vonder just sat down next to me and he didn't have a microphone, but I was just part of whatever was going, whatever that, that show was that was going on off to the side. I was part of, and I have to admit that he was entertained you couldn't hear most of what he was saying, because he was whispering it or kind of snarking it. But th- that was entertaining. Uh, before we transition back to the PGA Tour, uh, just a, a peek behind the curtain. You are wearing a Ryder Cup shirt uh, to <laughs> I, the live event. Are you purposely trolling the players who are never no, going to be I, part of a Ryder Cup ever again? No, I, I'm not. And, and look, we, normally in this situation, you and I would both be wearing Golf Channel here. and it, Or Turtleson. I, Shout out Turtleson. Uh I don't know. I'm not doing that because nope, that's not me. Um, however, I, I felt like that was maybe not appropriate. I, and look, no one told me not but to do that. But you thought a Ryder Cup I, shirt was? Well, and here's what, what you, I ran into. What, 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 did you not have a Augusta National shirt? Did uh, did the did your 150th uh, Open T-shirt not arrive in time? 
here's what uh, I ran into, and you're probably in the same. I, I had to pull all of these shirts out of tour my championship hat. You left it at because home because the the better part of two damn decades, I I have not bought a golf shirt, and I know that sounds bad, but either I'm having them given to us by Golf Channel or NBC Sports, or I'm having them given to us by the Ryder Cup or the Tour Championship or the Presidents Cup, maybe. Maybe I just don't have a normal golf shirt with just not a logo on it. And so I literally had is to this dig a, whatever Is this I a plea find. for Travis Matthew gear? This sounds like a plea. It, it, yeah, absolutely. 100%. Uh, whatever the case was going to be. I, Medium. And I had to, well, and even like the shirt I had on yesterday was just, it was, it was a polo shirt with no other logos on there, but it had a huge stain on the front. And like two or three players are like, what's happening there? And I had to explain this whole story to him. Like, Look, man, I, I know I'm, I'm, I just don't have the wardrobe for this. I don't have the bandwidth when it comes to my wardrobe to dress appropriately. Why didn't you wear a Golf Channel shirt? Uh, I don't know. I felt like that was going to be, uh, I don't know. I don't We're know. the I worldwide leader in golf. Uh, yeah, uh, we are. We are. Uh, I don't know. I felt like I was trying to make the right choice. And uh, you're right. Walking around with a Ryder Cup shirt. I just got to interviewing Henrik Stenson. I'm sure he, he appreciated that. Oh, my that God. Shirt. <laughs> 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 oh, that is too uh, perfect. One place, Rex, where I did wear uh, did wear our fabulous uh, Golf Channel gear it was last week at the CJ Cup. Of course, I left uh, before Roy McIlroy ascended once again to world number one. The first time he's been in that spot since July 2020. He supplanted Scotty Scheffler, uh, whose reign ended after, I believe it was 30 weeks. Uh, first got there. Uh, following uh, the match play victory in late March. I was part of a stretch in which he won four times in six events, but not after that. What's your biggest takeaway from that move? Either Rory getting back to a place where it feels like he belongs or Scotty, whose uh, brilliant run came to an end. And, and he actually enters uh, the offseason now uh, with, a, with a bit of question marks around his game. I thought, and we've had this conversation before, I, I felt like it was inevitable that Rory was going to take over that top spot because even if he didn't get it done at the CJ Cup, I think his plan is to play the Middle East to finish out the season on the DP World Tour, and he had been trending in the right directions, and I just don't think that Scotty had been. And look, as much as the first half of the season was all Scotty, and, and I mean, he was brilliant, the second half of the season is filled with some places where he didn't play very – he wasn't playing world-class golf in that particular case. I was kind of curious that no one came after him before now that it seems to me in this particular situation that you always talk about, well, you have to constantly be on top of your game to maintain that. I thought Rory did a great job last week. I think you wrote about this, about kind of describing that it's harder to keep the world ranking than actually is getting to number one in the world. Like getting to number one in the world is a mission and you've got to work hard and you got to be focused. Keeping it is that's where the real work comes into play. And in this particular case, I didn't feel like Scotty, had done a whole heck of a lot the second half of the season. And yet I think it was kind of a byproduct of no one else was doing anything else either up until sort of this back quarter where Rory seemed to be coming alive. I will say that it, it's clear that's going to be the best event of this fall. Like when you had Rory and John Rahm going head to head on that golf course, like I, I loved watching the action on that golf course. I would, I, I wish whatever the scenario is, whatever happens in the fall, whatever happens with the schedule, I'd love it if they went back there on a regular basis. Yeah. Congre, uh 100% deserves a PG tour event when it's that fast, that fiery, even if the guys are shooting 15, 16 under par as the winning score. Uh, it is a fabulous uh, test, certainly a remote location, uh, but a fabulous test for 
uh, the best players in the world. I think when you start with Scotty Rex, and I, I'm sure there's people who are going to criticize this as, as merely just a six week, six week heater. This was a guy who didn't have a PJ tour title to his name as of Super Bowl Sunday. And then he became world number one uh, for essentially uh, half of the year. I think it, it boils down simply to Scotty Scheffler's putter uh, derailed him. I mean, over the past three to four months of the season, he did not putt well. He put uh, very streaky, uh, very inconsistently. He certainly had an opportunity to win uh, the U.S. Open, finished one shot back of Matt Fitzpatrick there. He certainly had an opportunity to win uh, the Tour Championship. All he had to do was keep his head afloat uh, on the final day. Instead, he shot 73 to allow Roy to shoot 66 uh, and steal the FedEx Cup title from him. We've seen uh, Scotty even uh, bench his longtime gamer. He's, he's basically used a blade putter for the past uh, dozen or so years. And he uh, showed up Congaree with a mouth style putter. He was uh, certainly exhibiting more frustration on the greens uh, than we were used to seeing. And so as we kind of head into this lull of the schedule and with all eyes now on Kapalua uh, for 2023, uh, there actually is a little bit of question mark whether uh, Scotty can recapture that magic. As it comes to Rory, this run actually feels a little bit more sustainable maybe he's not going to have this stretch where he's got three wins now or he hasn't i believe he's finished inside the top 10 uh, just three times since the masters i'll repeat that again finished outside the top 10 just three times since the masters but you look at the completeness of his game now Rexy for the first time was a top 20 putter uh on the pj tour the first time he's done that in his career the work that he's done with brad faxon over the past four years has been terrific. Obviously, the hashtag perspective uh, that he's gained uh, with the help of Dr. Bob Rotella uh, cannot be understated as well. And we've also made some pretty significant strides with his wedge play. I just looked it up because I was doing the story for the Masters Journal for 2023. Rory, after the Masters, was 208th out of 209 players on the PGA Tour from 50 to 125 yards. And now that's obviously like a backbreaking deficiency because he's so often in that range following his, his totally nuclear drives following the masters though. He was first on tour from that range, really short up his action with swing coach, Michael Bannon uh, and topped the tour uh, in that zone. And so that, that shows uh, just absolutely remarkable improvement in a really critical area for someone whose driver is such a weapon. It's hard to see someone actually supplanting him uh, the way that he's playing at this point. And it's, I think that the only bummer is that uh, the season is winding down. As you mentioned, he's playing the uh, DP world tour finale um, in November. Otherwise uh, we'll see all these guys again at Kapalua at the early start of the year. But when you look at the rest of the top 10 players in the world, like who's the, who's the biggest threat to take him on? Uh, over the next calendar year, I would say John Rahm. I mean, John Rahm's just coming off a win, and granted, it, you could talk about the strength of field of him winning in Spain, but also, you know, he put himself right back in condition at the CJ Cup. He, he has the firepower to do it. He, you know, he has to go on one of those runs. The part about Rory that gets me is the expectations, not his expectations, our expectations of Rory are so high. There's probably going to be elements, and I've heard this on other podcasts, of people talking about this not being one of his best years. And it's it, it, this goes all to says who win a major. who says that this is one of the best strokes game numbers he's ever had. He's top 10 uh, in all four majors for the first time in his career. Who, who would possibly say such a thing? 
Nah, I don't like calling out of the Name podcast. names. I'm gonna go. No, nah, I'm not gonna do it. I will say though, it's if you look at everything he's done outside of the major championships, and, and he even I thought he played decent in the major championships. I mean, even when he didn't win, I'll go back to Wentworth, where he finished second to Shane Lowry. I mean, he probably played the best that week. It's just that Shane Lowry got a couple bounces coming down the stretch. I think that was kind of the story of his year. That's why I felt like it was inevitable that he was going to take over that top spot. Now, he always has a tendency of starting a little bit slower than he probably would, and we don't know what next season is going to bring because you have the elevated events and schedules are going to be a little bit different. But, yeah, I think there's there's players behind him right now, certainly – like I said, John Rahm, certainly Xander would be another guy that I would point to, but it is a Ryder Cup here. And my guess is Rory's going to be uniquely motivated to make sure that he plays well all season long, including into the fall. Uh, John Rahm to me is, is the obvious choice. Watching him play last week at Congre, it's, it's like a miracle that he doesn't win five or six times a year. Like he's so good. He's so complete. Uh, he has such a passion uh, for the game. It never looks like he's just dawdling out there. Like he, he intensely wants it probably uh, too much. Uh, the question of course, just comes down uh, to whether he can make the putts when he needs to. Xander is my pick of course, for player of the year in Always 2023. Is. So I think uh, he will challenge that top spot. I believe you picked Tony Finau. Uh, and so if you picked him as the player of the year, uh, it's reasonable to think that if he's 14th in the world, as of October 27, when we were recording this podcast uh, that he would then, uh, crash the top five in those rankings. I'm also intensely curious to see how Will Zalatoris plays. Uh, it was such a bummer, Rex, to see how his summer ended. He finally had the breakthrough victory in Memphis a week later, literally one week later, uh, suffers multiple uh, herniated discs in his back. His recovery is going a little bit slower uh, than he had probably anticipated. Right now, he's penciled in for the Hero World Challenge in early December. Uh, very much TBD uh, whether he will tear it, uh, uh, tee it up that week. Uh, best wishes for a full recovery because Wells Altors has all the tools uh, to be the number one player in the world. I wanted to get your thoughts real quickly, Rex, on this proposal uh, that has come out. It's It was on one of your favorite documents. I'm actually surprised... Uh, you did not have this first. The tour green sheet uh, buried on the tour green sheet, I believe it was on like page five, is this new proposal that would send the top college senior to the PGA Tour University rankings onto the PGA Tour directly. This would seem to be a direct response to live golf poaching, not one, uh, but two of the top uh, rising seniors uh, for this current senior class. In college golf, Eugenio Shikara, of course, uh, earned $4.5 million by winning in Thailand. Do you think that this is enough, or do you think PG Tour needs to shore up their pipeline uh, a little bit more to ensure that the top players, these top young incoming talent, uh, head on the PJ Tour and are not distracted uh, by the eight-figure signing bonuses they could get with Liv? I've actually heard it both ways from people inside the industry who I, I trust their opinion. One, it's this doesn't go far enough. That let's let's give it to the top five players coming off that that rankings list. I don't know exactly what goes into that list uh, because the other side of that argument that I've heard is, are we sure this player, the top player, is ready to go into the PGA Tour? And they pointed out that if you look at some of the top players over the course of the game, they kind of need a runway. That not everyone is LeBron James. Not everyone is big league ready the second they leave 
college that some people need a year or two on the corn ferry tour. Some people need that seasoning to understand what it's like. Cause I think we can all, you and I can both agree on college golf is vastly different than what you run into in professional golf. You no longer have that coach driving the van for you, holding your hand, making sure you're everywhere you need to be when you need to be there. And not everyone's ready for that. So I see both sides of the argument. I would lean towards the more than less. I would lean towards, I, I would say, let's give it to the top five players because this has been a theme the last six months for you and I. And Live Golf has an opportunity here. I don't think that we're giving away any secrets that if they go after the tour's young, they could win that game because they have a bottomless pit of money that we've already addressed. Whatever NIL deals are out there, you can foster relationships earlier with these players than the PGA Tour ever could, and you could guarantee them something that the PGA Tour cannot. You can guarantee them vast amounts of money. You can guarantee that not only do you, you don't have to pay to go to Q school and lose money on the Coin Ferry Tour, we're going to pay you, we're going to develop you, you're going to join this team. So I think it's something the tour had to do. I'm not sure this is the answer, but it's part of a answer. It certainly is a answer. I'm not sure if this is just the first step in building towards 2024, in which uh, I think the PJ Tour and probably the DP World Tour, for that matter, uh, look vastly different. I don't know what the right number is. One is uh, too few. I think uh, five is probably too many. I'd love to see probably three. And then you need to have four through 10 on that list with guaranteed corn fairy tour status right now it's one through five guaranteed corn fairy tour star uh corn fairy tour status with six to ten getting conditional you have to make that more appealing for guys who if they play well this summer which they're probably not going to because they're so burned out from the college golf season uh that they at least have an access uh, uh or an entry point uh to get to the pga tour you mentioned eugenio shikari because i think he's the most Interesting case. You look at the two scenarios, and of course, if you uh, watch our segment uh, on GolfShell.com, but not Golf Today, uh, you would know this. You look at the two routes that he could have taken. Eugenio Shikara could have turned pro. He could have uh, secured seven sponsor exemptions for being uh, one of the top players and tournament directors want to get him in the field. That, of course, would guarantee nothing, would guarantee neither corn, uh, PJ Tour status, and it certainly wouldn't guarantee Corn Ferry Tour status. So he at least faced the possibility of having nowhere to play definitively in 2023 while turning pro. But if he chooses live, he's now banked more than $6 million. He's on Sergio Garcia's team. That was one of his boyhood heroes. He's learning from some of the best players in the world, whether it's Cameron Smith or Dustin Johnson or Joaquin Neiman, whatever the case may be. And there's nothing stopping him, Rex, from playing out the rest of his multi-year contract and then still going the traditional route then still going to PGA Tour Q school or going through Corn Ferry Tour qualifying and trying to get to the PGA Tour that way. And so the PGA Tour just needs to do a better job of stemming that tide because I think Eugenio Shikara is very much a test case in this scenario where it's going to look like a very appealing option for college players to say, huh, over the course of three years, I could probably make $25 million and still get on the PGA Tour. At age 22, time is very much on his side. He's still going to be able to play in majors. He's still going to be able to play on the European Ryder Cup team. Now he can kind of go through life, go through his career without the financial stresses that a lot of these young players have. No, I agree. And again, this is the, uh, this is the opportunity that Live Golf, I'm sure, is going to continue to look into because they have the opportunity. I'm fascinated, and I've talked with a couple of managers about this, like the way the NIL deals are working now with golfers, there's nothing stopping 
Golf Saudi or even Live Golf from sponsoring these players from their freshman year on and whatever that, because as long as it's not based on outcomes, as long as it's not based on actual competition or merit, that they can pay them whatever they want to pay them. And suddenly you're building up this loyalty among the next generation. And I, I immediately go to, you just mentioned Will Zalatoris. Certainly Cameron Young would be in that category. Scotty Scheffler, three or four years ago, your average golf fan had no idea who they are. So imagine three or four years from now who slipped through the cracks because the PGA did not respond to this in a way that is going to stem the tide. I don't know exactly how you do it. I don't think this does it just wholesale, but it's certainly a step in the right direction. And I, you're even the one who brought this up back uh, at the NCAA championship. The report came out the Pearson Cootie, uh, the Texas star uh, had turned down like a, a, he said a quote, crazy amount of money from the size to join live. But that same week we heard the David Pooge who uh, was a top 10 ranked amateur in the world from Arizona state was going to play in the first event. And you mentioned it at the time, like, why would you not pay these guys 10, 20, $25 million and save the money that you're spending on Richard Bland, for instance, nothing against Blandy, but he's towards the end of his career. He's 48, 49 years old uh, with eyes on senior golf. Like why wouldn't you try to secure the next generation? Uh, to me, that's a no brainer way to use your money uh, as opposed to some of these aging warriors. I understand they're trying to establish credibility in the short term, but if you're playing the long-term game, if live golf, uh, is the future, as we've heard, ad nauseum, uh, that it's absolutely a no-brainer that you'd want to bring them into the fold, uh, basically, with a blank check. Rex, that is going to wrap it up. You are heading back home, I believe, tonight. Uh, there's a big game on Friday, homecoming, uh, homecoming. I believe. What do you have I got, on... I got someone in the court. What do you have <laughs> What do you, What do you? have on the grill this weekend? Are you, are you tailgating for homecoming? I don't think we will. Yeah, because, I mean, there's a lot of festivities going on beforehand, so we won't be tailgating before that. But probably something for Saturday's games. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't put much thought into it. I've been a little busy this week. Georgia, Florida, Rex. Georgia, Florida oh, is yeah. this weekend. I'll be attending. Uh, hashtag prayers for Lav. Uh, very much looking forward to that. Did get a credential denied uh, to be at the Georgia-Tennessee game the following week. Just absolutely uh, crushing. A blow. credential? So, what do you yes. mean a credential? Ask for a credential for the Georgia, Florida, uh, Georgia, Tennessee game. For, for, I don't understand how you ask for NBC a Sports. You <laughs> and, and you thought that they were going to approve that? Mm hmm. Were you actually going to work? Were you going to file something for NBCSports.com from that game? Oh, I'd probably do a few think pieces. Yep. A few think pieces. Got denied. Got denied. Just an absolute, got denied by Tennessee uh, or got denied by NBC Sports? Uh, by Georgia. Got oh, denied okay. by my home university. The university in which are? I spent more than $100,000 to attend. Yep, got denied uh, by that university's uh, sports information department. Just an absolutely crushing blow uh, to my ego. Uh, and this, this will be addressed uh, in the future. But uh, thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Golf Central Podcast presented by Callaway Golf. Don't forget, give us a good rating. Give us a good reviews. We have uh, proper mics now. Uh, make sure you guys shout it out. But for Rex, I'm Lav. Talk to you next week. Biggest mediocre.